this is systematic theology. It says anthropology in the uh, bulletin, which is true. And I was asked by somebody today, what in the world is that? Like, is that something you, they teach at USF? Or? It said it's part of systematic theology. It's actually a part of, uh, part of it. And uh, the main textbook that I'm using, I'm teaching directly, basically I'm teaching directly out of this, just so you'll know. You don't have to read this or anything. If you have this, then you can look at it. But I'm doing that because we've never taught out of this book. So I thought, I'm just going to teach directly out. However, I'm making some changes here and there, little additions or whatever, subtractions. So, And then I'll bring in some other information too, but ba mainly this one right here so you'll know. And uh, so if you'll look at the notes, well, let's go ahead and start with prayer first. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we just pray you'll give us wisdom to understand your word and to have a better understanding of what our relationship is to you and this study. So we can know what you'd have, what you'd have out, expect out of us, and what your will would be for us, and we'd follow your plan that you laid down for mankind. And we just praise in Christ's name, Amen. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the importance of anthropology first. You guys see that on your notes, Roman numeral one. Does anybody need a pen or anything? Or okay, Roman numeral one: the importance of anthropology. And Psalm eight, Psalm chapter eight. By the way. Uh, what we're going to do for reading assignments is I think, you know, that may change, but I think we're going to just read this, probably read the Bible every week. This is a short reading assignment in the, out of the Bible. Today, this week rather, is Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and Psalm chapter 8. Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm chapter 8. And uh, that may, you know, from time to time we may read something out of another book. If I do that, I'm going to make copies for you guys. You don't have to worry about anything. It'll be easy for you. But... Starting with Psalm chapter 8, uh, it says in there, ask a question. Does anybody remember what the question is in Psalm 8? It's about man. Yeah. Yeah, what is man that you would consider him? What is man that you take thought of him? The son of man that you care for him? Or the King James, what is man that thou... Oh, I totally forgot now. That thou... Uh, Take his notice of him or something. I totally forgot. And usually that's the version I remember everything in. Anyway, what is man is the question. This is the question that we're dealing with in anthropology. What is man? What does the Bible have to say about man? What is the Bible? What's the role? How does the scriptures view man? And the definition of anthropology comes from the Greek word, those of you that took Greek, anthropos, one of the words you learn right, right away. Anthropos means man or humanity. I mean, uh, individual man or study uh, or, or humanity, mankind. Study of mankind is what it is. But let me ask you a question. What is the foundation for a proper study of mankind? How do you get a proper study of mankind? We're talking about studying mankind. The scripture, right? The scripture is, a, is the foundation. What kind of perspective? You can take anthropology at USF. You can take anthropology at all these state universities. What kind of perspective are they going to give? Biblical? Yes. They don't even know what the Bible is at USF. First of all, let's start with that. No, there's no biblical perspective at USF on the Bible uh, uh, on, in the class of anthropology or pretty much any other class. <laughs> yes. I never forget, you're going to get a picture of Lucy. When I was in elementary school, that reminded me of something, Bob, on the wall. This is from my earliest memories of elementary. They had the, 
you know, the, uh, the, uh, the ascent of man, you know, the, they had the apes and the gorillas and all this stuff going up to mankind. I always, I still remember the scene down on the wall. That's how, that's the, that's the elementary school I was born into. I remember that. Do you remember? Yeah, right. Uh, right. That's right. So you get, uh, you know, you, so if you go to USF, you go to State University and you take anthropology, this is not going to be your textbook. This isn't going to be your textbook. <laughs> You're going to have something about evolution and all that going on, and, and you're going to get a man-centered perspective on biblical uh, anthropo on anthropology. But if you start with a biblical foundation, you're going to get God's perspective on anthropology, which is what we want. So how are you going to understand man properly unless you start with a scripture on anthropology? You're just going to get a godless philosophy otherwise or evolution, these kind of things. Uh, why is anthropology important? Well, it answers, number one, it answers the questions of life that are very important, like where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Now, if you were in, in anthropology class at USF and those, cla those questions came up, what, how would they answer them? Where, where, was I, where did I come from? Primordial Evolution, what did you say about? Primordial yeah, primordial soup. primordial soup. Why am I here? Yeah. It's all about the survival of the fittest. <laughs> Strong as we'll survive, right? And where am I going? Nowhere. Death is the end of it. That's it. We're all, that's pretty, you think about that, that's a gloomy outlook on life. You know, there's no hope or anything. If you're an evolutionist, truly evolutionist, what kind of hope do you have in life? You better figure it out yourself and do the best you can with what you got because you don't have any help coming from anywhere, you know? So if you, if you, but the Bible answers those questions in a completely different way. Where do we come from? Well, we know we, God brought us here ultimately. Why am I here? To serve God, right? Where am I going? Heaven, if you're a believer, and you're going to be with him, eternity. So it's important for that reason. It teaches us all those, the answers to those life's important questions. If people are thinking about, people should be thinking about these questions. Number two, a biblical anthropology teaches, that, teaches us that man is unique. He's, he's the high point of God's creation, right? Uh, and, you know, he created all these animals and all, but we're the high point, and um, we are... Um, you know, we're not just another, evolution says that we're just a high, basically a highly developed animal. You know, we came from, that's our ancestry, and now we, we're developed more than they are. But you hear people say, I've heard people say on shows, we're an animal. No, we're not an animal. That's not what the scripture teaches at all. So we'll find that out from the, that man is unique. Three, a biblical anthropology helps us to understand our relationship to God. So we learn what God expects from us and what he wants from us, what his will for us is. And any other, any other, blue, any other view excludes God. There's God's, not, God's not in those views at all. Okay? Number four, biblical anthropology gives a proper perspective on issues such as, think about this, abortion, euthanasia, environmentalism, homosexuality, transgender, trans, transgenderism, that's in our day, right? So do you think evolutionists are going to get all worked up about abortion? I don't think so. Why wouldn't they? It's strong as survive, right? Survival of the fittest. They're too weak. I guess they got cut out. And uh, they, they don't care about those kind of things. They care about older people dying. No, they don't care about that or putting them to death. None of that. Uh, the scripture does care about that, you know. Uh, number five, biblical anthropology exposes false philosophies such as evolution, false religious systems, all these things. No compatibility between the scriptures and false systems between evolution and the Bible. There's no compatibility. It doesn't exist. It exposes all those things. Uh, all right, B, is it appropriate to use the term man to refer, 
to refer to humanity, all of humanity, men and women. Should we use that term? Man? We say that, right? If you're from the old school especially, you say that. Um, uh, but should we keep doing that in light of our present society? I mean, they don't like that, right? Right. And I use it too. But, you know, the Hebrew word for uh, man is, is Adam, you know, Adam, right? And so Adam means man or mankind, that kind of thing. So, I mean, look at Genesis chapter uh, 1. Genesis chapter 1, might as well turn there anyway. Uh, here's the, it's a, you, you either have man as opposed to woman, just a single, a male, Adam could be, or it can be uh, mankind depending on the context. And so here's the use of it to refer to mankind. Look at Genesis 127. That says, so God created man in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, okay? So man used in the sense of mankind there. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and some of these cross over to both uses at times. 5, 1 and 2, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man, made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, it says. Um, and so, and he blessed them and... Uh, Name the man and the day when they were created. So you have mankind used in that sense. All right? And then you have an example of where you're just using a male distinct from uh, a female. And so you have, look at Genesis 2.22. It's used in that sense too. Depending on the context, Genesis 2.22. The Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Definitely talking about the male, right? Versus the female. So that... In that case, uh, and this is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, anthropos, um, or it would be Adam in the Hebrew here. So you're talking about just, just a single male. And look at 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, man used in the sense of male, okay? So both, both times it's used, you know, that word is used to describe just a single male or all of mankind. Should we use the term today? Well, you know, the Bible uses the term, why shouldn't we? So, you know, what's happening today is people don't like terminology like that's been used for a long time. Now, this terminology is bad that's been used for a long time that, that's derogatory to people and hurtful and all that. I get that. We don't need that, all that terminology. Terminology that's, that's been used for years that's, that describes the situation accurately, why shouldn't we use this? I mean, the Bible uses this, this term. Uh, am I going to give it up? No, I'm not going to give it up because people don't like it. I'm sorry, but that's how it is. And number two, the Bible advocates for male leadership in the family and the church. And uh, did I give you those verses, Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 3? <clears throat> you guys know those verses, right, um, for uh, elders' elders' qualifications? So why should I give up that term? Because, look, one of the things we've got going on in the church these days is the, this uh, idea of should women preach? And should women lead in the church? These kind of things. And, we know that's for men, right? And those, those terms are given in the New Testament to make that clear to everybody. So, no, we shouldn't give up those terminology. Even in Bible translations, you have this push now. This really infuriates me. And guys like D.A. Carson, who should know better, allow translations like the NIV 2011, the NIV, what do they call it, TNIV. We call, I call it the trash, TNI, trash NIV, but the, they call it today's NIV. That's what it is. 2011. Now, the 1984 version was not this way. 2011 is more this way, 
and where you allow gender neutrality, they call it, you know, well, we got to make everybody happy. We don't want to offend the women, so we got to include them and everything. Well, yeah, they're included in the term mankind, things like that, you know. So they try to push that even in Bible translations. This is all because of the feminist movement, quite honestly. They're pushing for this, pushing it. A lot of things in, that we deal with in the church nowadays are because of politics. And uh, so politics comes in, and then you, you, you have the... You have us, oh, we got to change everything in the scripture now because these people over here say this is how it should be. And this is always going to be the case. And guess what? The world's never going to agree with the scripture. They're always going to oppose it. They hate it. They don't want anything to do with it. So we take a stand on, on things that are scriptural, right? So biblical, biblical anthropology is important to study. it. If we don't study biblical anthropology, um, then we're not going to understand what God expects out of man and what happened. Look at Kadeem, for example. Let's take him as an illustration. <laughs> so, all right. Roman numeral two, sudden creationism. Sudden creationism. Why? What do we mean by that? Oh, I got that down there even. Okay, good. <laughs> now, that's what we mean by it. Okay. It's created like in six uh, literal days. Uh, this view today is under attack by believers, unbelievers and believers, by the way, okay? But this is opposed to the idea of sudden creationism, suddenly, versus the idea that the, the earth is billions of years old, okay? Which took, you know, all that time. So that's the, and the humanity, modern humanity, I was looking at this the other day, I don't keep up with all these things. They say it's 200,000 years old. And then our relatives, the chimpanzees, are six to seven million years old, is how they define this, okay? But how do they present this? They all present this. There's, let me give you the key words. The key words they always love to use. They present all this as science, okay? This is science, they say, and they, love, and they use this word endlessly. Six to seven million years old, our relatives, the chimpanzees, were on the scene also. This is all science, and they use the word scientific. We're very scientific, and all the scientists approve of this. So the guys in the white lab coats are walking around, and we all look at them, and we're all supposed to do what? Bow down and worship. Because scientists said this. So it must be true if scientists said it. The only problem is scientists have, first of all, said many things in, in the history of mankind that haven't been true. They propose an idea. True science proposes an idea. I've talked about this before. I'm not a scientist. My brother is. And uh, then they experiment with the idea. And they see if it works. They you know, propose a hypothesis. They experiment. They test it and all these things to see if it works again and again. If it does, okay, fine. Even then, 10 years from now, it could change. They could find a flaw or something like that. Bob probably knows a lot about this stuff. But as it is, this, this evolution business is all speculation, and no one can go back and prove it. And somebody says, well, you can't prove creation either. No, we can't go back and verify that either. That's true. That's why we, it's by faith, right? your elders yeah right yeah right that's another good question right there yeah go ahead <laughs> chimp fancies were, were here I just thought of this one Dale six to seven million years ago we but we weren't okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a expert on evolutionism and these kind of things, or science. Not not claiming to be. I pretend to be one in the pulpit, scientist, but I'm not one. Uh, but Wendell, I can't I can't answer those questions. Why they think this? I mean, here's the bottom line. In my view, they don't want to accept God, so they're going to push him out the door. Bob. Yeah, Lucy, right. Interesting. Yeah. Right, and scientists are. While I'm on the subject a little, they are in politics. Like everything is political in the world. First of all, okay. Scientists are no different. They they're in politics too, and they are expected to uh, go along with the party line. And if you don't, you're out basically. So the guy came up with a documentary, for example. What's that called? Exposed. Exposed. What's his name? The the, the guy uh, that did that. Um, He's a Jewish man, and he talks about, he starts off that video with the Holocaust, by the way, and how Hitler wanted to exterminate all the Jews and all this. Uh, and now, they're, what's that? Ben, yeah, Ben Stein. No, not Ben Stein. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the older man. Uh, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> Can't think of his name, though. Anyway, he, uh, they did this video, and, and it showed how the Christian teachers who believed in evolution were pushed out of the universities. Yeah, if you get a chance to watch it, you'll, you'll love it. Uh, called, I think it's called Exposed. I think we have it here in the library, don't we? The video? If I'm, we used to have it here. And uh, my brother uh, is a uh, PhD in physics, and he, and he does creation seminars now. And uh, he, uh, when he taught at uh, Butler in Indiana, and, uh, which became a good basketball team. And uh, he was kind of pushed out the door because he was a Christian teaching you know, believing in creation. And they didn't like that, and he was kind of like, okay, you need to kind of go by the wayside here. And that happens all the time, because you got to buy into the politics, see, or you're not one of them. So that's, that's something that happens. These people, look, there's true science. There's good science that comes up with good, good things, and, that, and we benefit from these things, and they've been proven, they're, they're good stuff. And then there's what I call junk science. And this is not science. This, is called, this should be called evolution. That's what it is. These are evolutionists, not scientists, okay? And they're, for them to claim the title scientist in the, in the true sense of the word is they're just trying to hijack the title to make it sound like we're true scientists. And they come up with these textbooks, and you look at the textbooks, and it's got all this. And scientists through the years, by the way, have, have been caught in lies about evolution. They've been caught, as Bob said, with that Lucy thing. Other things, too. Not the first, not the only one. Uh, if you want some good, I didn't put this in your notes. If you want three good websites to go to to check on Christian scientists who are talking about evolution and creationism. These are good guys. 
Here's the websites. Um, go to west.org. No, I'm just kidding, man. Just kidding about that. Go to icr.org. icr.org. That's Institute of Creation Research. icr.org. That's a good one. We, Henry Morse is in that group. Henry Morse came and spoke at this church one time. We went out to dinner with him after. That was crazy. He actually came to this church when it was very small. Spoke to us over there. It was the strangest thing. Anyway, and then uh, another one is AnswersInGenesis.org. You know that one? Another good website. AnswersInGenesis.org. Third one is CreationResearch.org. CreationResearch.org. My brother's part of Creation Research Society. Has been for a long time. Uh, Research.org, yeah. He teaches it. Uh, well, he doesn't teach it here anymore. He teaches somewhere in Georgia now in a Christian school, but... Yeah, so they got a lot of, if you want to read a lot of good articles about evolution, creation, these kind of things from good guys, those are good websites right there to look at. Um, it's interesting to me, too, this is just something I'm throwing on the side, that written history, written history of mankind. You know, here's the problem today. People don't read history. They don't, look, history's got a lot of bad things in it, okay? It's just how it is. People don't like history, A, or B, they want to change history and rewrite it to make it something that it really wasn't. Unfortunately, it is what it is, okay? So, written history, though, is only like 5,000 years old. That's interesting to me. If you go back to the, the longest writings, it's about 5,000 years old, you're going to find in written history, okay? Now, to say after that that, you know, man appeared 200,000 years ago, the chimpanzees six, 6 million years ago, the world is 13 and a half billion years old. Four and a half billion, what is it, four and a half billion years old? I, I mean, I, I can't remember which. It's billions of years old, whatever it is. To say all that, and written history is 5,000 years old? That seems strange to me, you know? Didn't that signal something to you? Written history is 5,000 years old. Was it that much further bef at, before that where some, that's, this, this whole thing started, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I believe it is. It's just interesting, though. But the, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, and it's uh, Satan's blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see. They don't want to know about it. They don't, they're hostile to God, the whole deal. Yeah, and, and not to mention the fact, I always like to throw this in on, as an extra nicety. Evolution is a total racist philosophy.
It's on. It's on window. Well, we're ignorant Bible believers, so, you know, we don't know anything. Uh, we're not scientists. We're just totally anti. The Bible is is completely in a, okay, first of all, let's say it this way. The Bible's not a book on science, but when it speaks to science, it's always accurate. It is always accurate in what it says scientifically. And, uh, you know, it's, fu it's funny. Two people say, I've, I've heard these guys say, well, we can't accept, Christians say, can't accept uh, uh, the creation origins because, uh, genome, genomic, I don't even know what that, that's all about. Genomic research has proved that that's all wrong. Well, what's going to happen 10 years from now? What, what are they going to find then that says this is wrong, that's wrong? Well, we can't, these guys are ever changing anyway, so, you know. Uh, first of all, they don't have, they, they, that, that's not true. What I, that, that's what their view is, okay? But theistic evolution, God got involved. This is the big one, okay? This has been for a long time. Christians are saying God got involved and used evolution as part of the creation process. Here's, and I, do I have a website called biologos.org on your site? Yeah, if you want to go see a, 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 a website, the website today, the website de designed for Christians that gives the view that God, you know, used evolution to get things going, it's biologos.org, okay? And, and there's Christians on there, Bible scholars on there, that back it, that promote it, and all this. Here's the first statement. If you go to the website, you're going to see this. Biologos invites the church and the world to see the harmony between, here's the buzzword, the harmony between science and biblical faith as we present an evolutionary understanding of God's creation. Think about those words, an evolutionary understanding of God's creation. That's a total contradiction. They don't see it because they're blinded, apparently blinded by Satan as well. As, and maybe these people aren't even are believers. I have no idea to say they're believers. So the harmony between science. So you mean the harmony between evolution. You're, you're calling science, evolution science now. And there's no harmony between the evolution and, and the Bible. There's harmony between the Bible, let's start with that, and true science. Okay. Uh, and this combination of, here's the, the deal behind this. You know, we have to accept evolution because we're Christians, so we have to accept God, right? But we have to accept evolution so we don't appear to be foolish before the world. That's why they're doing this. Okay. But... Since God is all-powerful, why can't he create the world? See, they, they need to go to the study of theology, right? Proper study about God, right? Look at the following biblical statements declaring his, his power. Uh, Jimmy, can you turn to Isaiah 44, 24? And Wendell, Jer Jeremiah 32, 17. Bob, how about uh, Hebrews 1, 10? <clears throat> yeah, Isaiah 44, 24. I know live stream is not going to hear these read, but the references are there. Um, yes. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself, and spreading out the earth all alone. Yeah, the Lord's the maker of all things. What does Jeremiah 32 17 say? Right, in uh, uh, Hebrews 
Okay. Uh, I've got these in your notes, right? These references. Acts 14, 15, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the same nature as you. Preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain idols to a living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So we have, there's statements all over the scripture that says that God says he created the world. Did he actually create it in six days, six literal days? Okay, turn to Exodus 20. Now we know, X, uh, yeah, that's right. The answer is that's what the Bible says. And that is exactly the answer. Um, and uh, are, there, are these six literal days, Genesis, Genesis 1, as you read it, it, seems to me to say there's six literal days, right? I've always been an ignorant Bible believer, though, so I've never, I've never taken it any other way. Even as a child, I, in the reading of it, you see that, right? What is, but, but what's interesting is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, if somebody can read that. Yes. Okay, so what is he comparing the the uh, what's he comparing the creation week to? Six days of what? It's what you love to do every week. Go to yes, the work week, right? So the work week is we. Do you work a thousand years every day? He feels like he does, Jimmy. But uh, Jimmy goes to work Monday through Friday. We'll just say uh, five day work week, probably right. You have a five day work week. Oh, well, wait a minute now. He's messed up the whole creation week here. <laughs> Got the four-day work week now going. So uh, he's a poor illustration of the work week. Okay, so no, he's always worked hard. But um, So he, he works his work week, right? We understand that. He goes to work in the morning, comes home in the evening, and, and then does the next day again. And so that's what it's saying there. But it's saying, okay, and this is what the creation week is like. It's the work week, okay? It's the same time period, in other words. So he's proving, he's literally proving Without a shadow of a doubt, these are six literal days, just like the guys that work all day and the people that work all day, 24-hour days. So the days of creation are equal in time to the six days of creation. Oh, yeah, Second Peter. Yeah, we're going to break it down, as a matter of fact. To pull a verse out of Second Peter, you can, you can take references. I'm not, we're going to use references. That's probably what he used. It's take a reference out like that out there. It doesn't prove that about Genesis 1 by the way there's references we can look at but it's got to it's got to connect you know and that's good that you brought that up um, but there 24-hour day we'll look at that in a second what materials did God use to create the world what did he use like you know we build a building we have to go get dry, drywall we have to get concrete and wood uh, two by fours and all these things yeah probably not use words yeah that's his building materials 
He spoke the world into existence. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 3, by faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, okay? And then let me read Romans 14, 17. Uh, I, he says, it says, that it talks about God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. See, God doesn't need pre-existing materials. In the, in the Latin term that theologians use is ex nihilo. It's in your thing, and it means out of nothing. Ex, out of, or from, and nihilo, out of nothing. So out of nothing, God created the world out of nothing. No pre-existing materials whatsoever were used, and he spoke the worlds into existence. That was it. Um, now, let's look at the, de the word uh, day and morning and evening in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Uh, so, we're going to look at other verses too, but um, anyway. All right. <clears throat> Number one, day. Do you see that in your notes? You've heard of Yom Kippur. Yom is day of atonement. Yom is day in Hebrew, and that's the word used in Genesis. And Yom refers to either the light within a 24-hour cycle uh, in other words, the daylight, or it refers to the entire day and night, light, light and dark. 24 hours. It refers to 24 hours, okay? Always. It always refers to, uh, in this case. Uh, the only exception is Genesis 2.4. Genesis 2.4 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Okay? Now, sometimes, you know, people don't seem that. When it comes to the Bible, people lose all their literary sense completely. Lose their mind, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. They lose their mind, Jimmy. We've talked about this in hermeneutics and other yeah. things. How, you know, they can read literature, right? And they can have poetry in that literature, and they can have the metaphor. You know, metaphor is a word picture, right? Describing something. All that's fine. You get to the Bible, that all goes out the window. Oh, he said day. He said a thousand years in Second Peter. That means the days in Genesis one were a thousand years long. Okay. Genesis 2, 4, and the day that the Lord created the heaven and the earth. We know what he's talking about in that time period. He's not talking about, oh, it's a, it's a, day, it's a you know, it's a long age, you know. He's talking about that time period. That's just a literary device. That's all it is and nothing more. Unless people don't know anything about literature, if they can start saying this, I'm going to have to say, have you ever not studied literature? Do you not know how to read, you know? Because that's just reading, all right? Now, number two, when Yom is accompanied, when Yom, rather, is accompanied by a numeral, and what does it say in Genesis 1? Look at Genesis 1, for example. Uh, verse, uh, somebody find a verse where it says day 1 <laughs> or day 2. For some reason, I'm not seeing it. Verse 5? Yeah, okay, I don't know why I'm not seeing this. And God called the light Yom, darkness he called night, and there was evening, there was morning, one Yom. Okay? So, whenever you see that, whenever Yom is accompanied by a numeral, it is never used figuratively. It is always used to refer to a 24-hour time period. Always, okay? So for these guys to say what you just said, they are totally not even looking at the facts. Genesis 1 and 2 are not figurative. They're literal days, okay? Number three, evening and morning, when you see that used in Genesis 1. Never used figuratively in Old Testament. They're talking about a 24-hour day. That makes sense. Any that common sense? The evening and the morning or, you know, the next day, you created light or whatever. All right, number four, the New Testament confirms the witness of Genesis 1 and 2. Someone turn to Matthew 19.4. Matthew 19.4. Well, and you see the references I gave you. By the way, 1 Timothy 3.12 is not a reference to that. That's about deacons. <laughs> I think some deacons evolved, though, so that's why I threw that in there. Uh, anyway, 
The New Testament confirms the witness of Genesis 1 and 2. By the way, the New Testament refers to Genesis 1 and 2 over 30 times. Quite a few times, right? What does Matthew 19, 4 say? I think uh, Matthew 19.4. Did I give you the wrong reference? Okay. Yeah, so you have Jesus talking about this event that took place, and he, and he mentions it. And treat it in a, what else, my point is, he treats it in a normal, non-figurative way. It's a literal event as far as he's concerned. He doesn't even question it. doesn't even think twice about it, okay? So, so we, we have to conclude from all this and what we're going to see in the, in the near future here that the Bible doesn't teach evolution in any way, period, Jimmy. Didn't even question it. Right. Right. And I think the problem is these people are, uh, they, don't re they don't read the Bible like us, you know, I, you know, we need to be simple Bible readers. Just simply read it as it is in its context. Yeah, read it what it says, and then when we're through, read it again. Okay, read through the Bible, then read it again. Then read through the Bible and read it again, right? And, and when we do that and see it in its context, these guys, what they're doing is accepting the word of evolutionists over the Bible. That's what they're doing. And they're, they're so complicated in their mind and thinking they can't be simple Bible readers anymore, okay? I don't mean simpletons. I mean a simple Bible reader. And when you become a simple Bible reader, guess what happens? you become wise in your thinking, not a simpleton. Mr. Gear, how are you doing? So the Bible, you know, so what, we, what do we conclude? We conclude that from this, Genesis 1-2, the Bible doesn't teach evolution in any way, period. Not a theistic evolution, not God involved in evolution, none of that at all. Man and woman are a direct creation of God. It didn't take billions of years to form but six literal days. And if any professing Christian or so-called scholar says that the other otherwise, he has no biblical grounds. Whatever he's doing, he has no biblical grounds for, grounds for saying this at all. All right, any other questions about that? So I want to show you guys something in a minute here. But, uh, in fact, Wendell, you might want, might want to take your seat back there. Okay, all right, number three, Romans 3. Adam, 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 is he a historical person or a figment of our imagination? All right. <laughs> Up until the 19th century, then the church has always affirmed that Adam was a historical person. What happened in the 19th century? A lot of bad stuff, right? Enlightenment. The enlightenment. Thank you very much. That's the word, enlightenment. And then that meant that, oh, we have to abandon the scripture, throw the Bible away. And now we have to, Darwin comes on the scene, and the higher critics come on the scene, and all these people come on the scene to destroy the scripture and everything. And ever since then, we've gone down the drain, okay? Right. So... But now, even believers, professing believers, uh, we have a commentary set in the library, a biblical expository commentary, the Yellow Books, written years ago. Good guys and all that, good commentary. Okay. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to agree with everything you say 100%, but there's good guys that wrote it, all these, all these guys. Then they did a revision of it, but not really much of a revision at all. It's basically the same thing. But they threw in some bigger names of today. One of those guys is Trimper Longman who's an editor of that commentary set now, the new commentary set. I don't think they changed him up, but they, they got his name in there. We'll talk about him in a second. He was a guy who has a, pro, has a problem. We'll see what it is. But it's the acceptance 
of evolution that opened the door for these guys to come in, these Christians, to come in and, and conclude that Genesis, the, the atom of Genesis 1 and 2 is not historical. And so this is a big deal now. A lot of people are, now you know, you're not going to hear it in this church or Providence. You're not going to hear it there, obviously. But you're, this is a, a lot of churches are accepting this, and this is being taught in the universities. In a lot of places, a lot of people are into this thing now. Uh, so now think about it. If you believe that man evolved, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong Wendell? Yeah, that's one thing they say. I'll tell you what, what they say in a minute, okay? If you, if you believe that we evolved over a long period of time, then what is, where does that put Adam at? Is he the first human being? Or what? So, Yeah, so you might think, uh, you know, now we're going to say God created the man out of the dust suddenly, and they're going to say, wait a minute, what about evolution? How does that work together? So then they have a problem with Adam now. Some believers think he, there's no Adam at all. Others think that Adam is just a representation of humanity. Others think that Genesis is written is poetry. Genesis is not a straightforward account, historical account, or a narrative account, they call it. But it's just poetry, and so because it's poetic, you see, we shouldn't read it literally. We can't take what it says literally. It's poetry, and we can't understand. Or it's based on uh, East, uh, uh, ancient Near Eastern um, literature. It's going along with their literature, and so we have to read it through those eyes. Now we've got to be some kind of ancient Near Eastern literature experts to understand the scripture. All this stuff, they'll say. So, Tripper Longman is, there, is one of the big guys who's into this, and, and Wendell's going to show you two short videos, and I, want you, I, I wanted you to hear what he said, okay, instead of me telling you. Can you guys see? Ripple Longman, known Bible scholar, plays part in a lot of commentaries. A lot of people stumble with the creation account in the Old Testament because they've been conditioned to think that it presents a view of creation that's so much at odds with modern scientific ideas about creation. In a word, you know, there are those out there that say that the Bible teaches a six-day, 24-hour creation, followed by a 24-hour period of rest, a seven-day creation week. And in other words, they, they interpret the text highly in a highly literalistic way. And that seems so much at odds with the, um, you know, what scientists are discovering. And so, uh, but, but you see, this is an imposition of a modern uh, reading on the scriptural text. The, the biblical text is not disputing Darwin. It's actually disputing ancient Near Eastern ideas about creation, and it's picking up a lot of their descriptions and applying it to God. So just a quick example. When Genesis 2 talks about Adam being created from the dust of the ground and the breath of God, that's clearly not a literal description of the way God did it, because God doesn't have lungs to breathe breath in. It's not a word for the Holy Spirit there. It's a word for breath. It's, it's to be contrasted with the Babylonian depiction of creation where the god Marduk takes the dust of the ground and mixes it with the blood of a demon god. 
So it's not giving a literal description. It's saying something about who we are as human beings. It's saying that we are noble creatures, dignified in our creation. We have a special relationship with God, even though we are also creatures and a part of the dust. So, um, so again, to take these descriptions and treat them literally and say that, you know, that it replaces science is a mistake. Replaces science. He said, okay, I want you to watch this one. Uh, part, part 12 and 4, Wendell. We can, there's a bunch of them, but just two quick ones here. Yeah. Did you just do four? I think so. I'm Trumper Longman. No, I'm that's not it. That's not it. Professor at Westmont College. And it's, 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 you had part 12 originally and part four. <coughs> Taught at uh, Westminster for a long time. Now he's at this place called Westmont College in California. Yeah, I wanted to part 12 so we could see what he says about something else about Genesis. There it is. Is there a historical atom, okay? It's the top one, Wendell. You see it? Okay. A lot of people believe that Genesis 1 and 2 sort of insists on the idea that there is one literal historical atom. And they might go on and say, and that little historical atom was created by a special act of God and, and not a result of, say, an evolutionary process. Um, you know, there are a lot of difficult questions associated with it, but, but I think you could only insist on the idea that there's one historical atom if you read Genesis 1 in a very highly literalistic way, rather than, than understanding that it is uh, using ancient Near Eastern concepts to express how God did create the first human beings. I, I just personally don't think that Genesis 1 and 2 prohibits the idea that there is a evolutionary process and that um, and whether there's sort of one moment when God says this is the first human being and it is one individual or whether you know Adam stands for mankind after all the Hebrew word Adam does mean mankind um, that's a different question and one that at least I haven't completely resolved in my own thinking yet. There's still open questions. Okay, you don't even hear N.T. Wright or, Paul or Peter Enns. They're both out of their mind anyway. Yeah, they got problems, both those guys. All right, especially Peter Enns. All right, so um, you see how what they you see. This is what is thought, and this is a representative of these guys, Trump or Longman. Yeah. Well, yeah, the new, the revised set, they threw his name on as one of the editors, although I, I've looked at different passages and I haven't seen any corrections made to anything. But not to say that there's not, I can't look at all the 12 volumes. He says he's a believer, says he's a believer in Jesus Christ and all this. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. Right. Exactly. That's the problem I have. If a guy gets Genesis 1 wrong, well, I don't know how he's going to treat Romans 1 or anything else. Right. Yeah, did you hear all that? Uh, Longman just said, uh, well, you know, a literalistic reading yields this, and you got to go back to ancient Near Eastern concepts, and then you got to think about um, he's, he's battling those concepts, and then you got the god Marduk of the Babylonians, and it's the blood, and the blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, seriously? Okay, we talked about being a simple Bible reader, not a simpleton, but a simple Bible reader, just reading what the scripture says and accepting it and that's the that's the wise man or woman you know in the long run and he's a bible scholar and all this stuff and, and now he's he's read too much about ancient years and concepts or something i don't know what he's done but he's yeah right yeah that's what he comes off as he comes he says he's a believer and believes the bible and all this stuff but he doesn't believe genesis one apparently um but here's the problem the bible doesn't say anything he just said it says that Adam and Eve were the first man. They were true, genuine, real, live, historical human beings. They existed. Their names were Adam and Eve, you know. So what, why do we say this? Well, number one, a nat, and you got your notes, a natural reading, I just said this a minute ago, a natural normal, normal reading of Genesis leads us to this conclusion, right? As you read Genesis, it never occurred to me it was saying all kinds of weird things. It just said that God created the man. Uh, the Bible contained, and we talked about this before, Contains all kinds of genre, right? Literary devices. It's a mag in fact, it's a masterpiece. The Bible is because of this. Contains poetry, right? And it contains straightforward narrative, historical narrative, and it contains wisdom literature, and it contains metaphors, word pictures, and similes, like the word "like" or "as." This is like that. That's that's as that. Comparing things, and all these things, proverbs, everything, Pro prophecy in many ways, right? How do we read the Bible? Okay, I've said it before. You read the Bible as if you're reading any other book with this exception, it's inspired by God, right? So what I'm saying is this, you read it in a normal way, in a normal sense. And if it's poetry, like the Psalms, you understand it's poetry, okay? You get it. Even then it's teaching about God, right? So you just read it as it comes, in its context, understanding it in its context. There's nothing weird going on here, and it'll tell you, you know, as you come across a literary device like Revelation uses like or as all the time. He's like a lion or like that, like this. Okay, I get it. He's like this or that, you know? So we have to be careful when we read and notice the words. All the time. Basketball, man. He was, All the time. He jumped like a deer. Right. He, uh, he hops like, got hops like a, you know, yep. you do the same thing. And people yep. understand what you were talking about. That's right. You know that language. That's right. All the time. So, it's, not a, it's not a big deal. So he jumps like a deer. We get it. Is he a deer? No, he jumps like a deer. You know, exactly like a deer? No, but he's, you know, we get the idea of what's going on here. But people who don't read the Bible seriously year after year consistently will never arrive at this understanding. 
I'll never get it because they're just playing around. If I wanted to learn physics, which I never have any desire, no zero desire to learn at all, uh, and I never read a physics textbook, never studied it hardly. Well, every once in a while I'll pick it up and read a chapter two. Am I going to learn about physics? Never. Never going to get it. Um, that's what people, that's what Christians do. They do the same thing. Pick up here once in a while. They come to you and they ask you a question. What is this? And I'm like, okay, fine, we'll help with the question. But like you've been a, question, a Christian for like 30 years and you never really read that in the Bible? Why? Okay. Number two, if Adam is not historical, then how can it, we could trust that any of Adam's descendants are historical? Uh, if, uh, like, uh, or anybody else in Genesis, are they historical or not? You know? So according to Genesis 4 and 5, Adam and Eve had children, right? Seth, uh, Cain, Abel. Are they, are they historical? Are they real? I don't know. Who knows? If Adam's not real, Genesis 5.1, these are the generations of Adam. And then a bunch of people are listed, right? All these people, and it talks about them dying and all this. And if Adam is not historical, then maybe these aren't. What about people like Noah? Is he historical? Abraham? Isaac? Joseph? You know, where does it end? What about when you go through the, you start going through the whole Bible and you get to the kings of Israel who are verified also? These, some, of these, some of these kings are verified by outside historical sources. Are they real too? I mean, yeah, if it's in evolution. Yeah. Yeah. If Adam doesn't exist? Yeah, I think according to the evolution, I mean, because Yeah, evolutionists aren't concerned with Adam at all, but you're talking about guys that are, that are Christians that are, yeah. Yeah, I think what guys like Tremper Longman are fa failing at is they accept evolution, and so they, then now they're set up to have other issues. Yeah. Like, is Adam historical or not, you know? And this is, we don't hear this, this is typical of all these guys out there. Yeah, well, there's, there's different views. There's, there's a book called, I think it's called the, maybe The Four Views on Adam or something like that. And in fact, Bill Barrick, there's four guys that give their view. And there's one guy who says there's no Adam at all. He didn't exist. Other guys say, no, Adam did exist, but he's, or, or rather, number two, he's, this name Adam is just representative of humanity, not a person as such. And maybe a third guy thinks he existed, but something else. The fourth guy, Bill Barrick, he's teaching Master Seminary. And uh, he says, yeah, I mean, he's retired now. He's been teaching for like, he's like 200 years old, okay? So, and he's a good guy. Bill Barrick says, no, Adam's a historical person. That's the, that's the correct view. That's the biblical view, right? So, but yeah, so you can check into that book. But they have different views, Wendell, these people. I don't know, maybe call four views. There's a four views series. I'll look it up for you. Okay. Try to find it. Uh, and then thirdly, we've got to get out of here. The thirdly, the uh, New Testament, we'll quit with this. New Testament writers affirm Adam as truly historical. Now, first of all, look at, somebody turn to 1 Chronicles 1.1. 1, 1. Oh, how we don't like 1 Chronicles, okay? The first nine chapters. Why do we not like the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles? You know why? It's all genealogy. Name after name after name after name. Yeah, I, I, no, I agree with you, Jimmy. But look at 1 Chronicles 1.1, 1, 1, and we're going to find an interesting reason to, re to read this. <laughs> also, if someone can turn, Bob, can you turn to Luke 3.38? Uh, we may not even finish this little section here. 1 Chronicles 1.1, 1, 1. this is very interesting to me. Listen to this. Yeah, just the first. Jared? Jared? 
Yeah. So the first verse says what? Adam, right? What's it doing? Giving a genealogy. And who's the first name on there? Yeah. So in other words, the writer of Chronicles is accepting that as historical. He's not even questioning the issue at all. Okay, we'll go to Luke 3.38. Jesus is given a genealogy, or not Jesus, uh, Luke is, in Luke 3, and he, and he gives a genealogy, and he traces it all the way down to Adam. Yeah, in other words, Adam is a historical character, okay? Um, and then Mark 10, look over Mark 10. Oh, I tell you what, I, I, do I have this in your notes, Mark 10, 6? Did, did I write it out? For, from the beginning of creation? Mark 10, 69. Yes. yes. But from the beginning of creation? God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, rejoin his wife. In other words, it points back to the original creation. Okay, so it's verifying New Testament, saying, "Yeah, all that's that's all real. It's historical. It actually happened. No question about it." All right. What about Paul? Look at uh, Romans five. I tell you what, Jimmy. Romans five fourteen. Bob, can you go to First Corinthians fifteen? Wendell, First Timothy two. Uh, okay. Yeah, so Paul referred to Adam. Okay, did, did he was was he out of his mind too when he said this? What did he say? Okay, this whole section in Romans is talking about Adam and Christ, back and forth, back and forth, and he says Adam, and he mentions Moses. Is Moses not historical? Is Adam not historical? Well, Paul thought they were. Yeah. That's right. The, the man, Adam, the man. That's right, singular. So you, you have this, you have this, uh, you know, evidence that he's saying, "Oh, wait a minute." Paul says, in effect, "Yeah, Adam was historical." He doesn't point that out. He just accepts it. As he just accepts it because why would you not accept this? It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, what about First Corinthians, fifteen twenty-two, Bob? As an Adam, all die. And then in Christ, comparison, is Christ a historical character, or is he not real either? You know. Okay, what about uh, 1 Corinthians 15.45, Bob? Comparing Christ and Adam again. So you have the first man, Adam, the first man, historical character for real. He's, he's real, you know. Okay, and then 1 Timothy 2.12-14. Paul builds his whole, his whole case in Romans 5 of original sin on a real Adam. He builds his case on the, the leadership in the church in 1 Timothy 2 being men on Adam and Eve. He goes back to creation, okay? It's not a cultural thing, by the way. It's, it's going back to creation. Uh, so um, I hope Paul can get with Tremper Longman in heaven and get him straightened out. Does it really matter if Adam is historical or not? Yes, okay? And let me, let me just, we'll finish with this. We'll get, we'll get out of here. Quote from Biblical Doctrine, this book. Uh, a literal Adam is foundational for understanding the origin and history of the human race, right? Okay. The nature of humanity, the origin of sin, the beginning of human and animal death, the need for salvation, the basis for historical events in Genesis, the reason for functional order within the church, and even the future existence of mankind. Yes, it's very important 
what the scripture says. We just need to accept what it says. Or else say, we're not really Christians. We just don't believe this at all. One of the two. That's right. Yep. So when we yep. go against that, mm-hmm. we go against the order of God. Right. You know. That's right. And this is why. Is the Old Testament important? Yes. It's a preparation for the New Testament, and, and, it, and it teaches us and instructs us and feeds in the New Testament. And the New Testament then says, oh, yeah, remember creation? Yeah. We can learn something from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 8. Yeah, that's right. And you guys are dismissed. See you next week.